0: again to Straight Talk, your intermittent podcast of political thought. I'm your host, Scott Wyatt, and today I'm joined by Kay Chapman. Kay is an educator at Arkansas State University in Beebe, and she's currently the president of the Arkansas chapter of NOW, the National Organization for Women. Welcome to the show, Kay. How are you doing? Thank you.
1: I'm fine. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thank you very much for agreeing to, to come on here with me, because I tell you what, when we're recording this right now, yesterday was the the march all over the country in the protest yep. for about the separation of immigrant children. Just to give a little context as to when we were, were recording this, when we first decided to speak, there were a lot of things that I thought we could talk about. But this week has, has totally changed my thinking, namely because of the retirement of Justice Kennedy. What do you think yep. that is going to impact your organization and and what you're working for?
1: Here's the it's a little slogan that we've sort of come up with: "Don't agonize, organize." It's a little scary for for most of us who are progressives, and certainly for feminists. Bodily autonomy,
0: <laughs> you
1: know, is pretty basic to what. Any, you know, as i have studying the history of political philosophy in the West, you know, the idea of freedom sort of based on, like, you can walk over here or walk over there. Uh, you are not restrained or compelled or uh, coerced and da 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 So the idea of a, of a right being a kind of a right-of-way in life to do the things you choose to do unless you interfere with others. So these are not brand-new principles that someone dreamed up in Kate Ashbery in 1968, they are ideas that go way back in British and French and then later American reflections on the social contract. So for the notion to be that, well, we just don't think that women should make a decision about continuing a pregnancy, even in cases of rape and incest, you know, when there's no consent. Or in cases where tests reveal that the developing embryo fetus is going to be profoundly disabled and or even born dead, they're talking about you can't have an abortion even if you have a stillbirth coming on, right? Which can occur. I mean, so I mean the level of radicalism of what people seem to want now is, uh, I think, at deep odds with any notion of equal citizenship for women. And it's also, in my view, completely unbiblical. There is nothing about abortion in the Bible. And under Jewish law, the, the killing of a theta, and they're thinking of oh, a pregnant woman, was, you know, worth a fine of a few shekels. It was not considered murder. They don't have any, field, you know, I think they're just making it up. And I think they're making it up because their, you know, their religion seems to be male supremacy. That, that seems to be the only way this makes any sense. For us and now, in uh, all our allies, I think our strategy is going to have to be to do more mass organizing and mass action, as well as to let let the people who are presumably representing us know that if they thought the health care debate was tough, French Hill, if you had to hide behind Tom Cotton because you were too so scared to hear what people said about getting rid of Obamacare, you all put a bullet. In the head of of abortion and you're going to be really really sorry but of course we will be too and that's just it this is so i think that most reasonable people would say let's find some some point and say okay here's the truth no abortions except for medically necessary reasons which is all they're ever about after 20 weeks and or and or you know come up with a policy that is at least bearable for everybody, that gives everybody, you know, what they really need, and also commit to sex ed and, and continuing advances in contraception,
0: you Yeah, know? if they want to prevent unwanted pregnancies, that seems like the perfect way to start.
1: But it's weird. They don't seem to want to prevent unwanted pregnancies. They seem to want to blame women for getting pregnant, make uh, uh, delivery compulsory, which seems to be very inconsistent with you know it seems as if there is exactly one person involved in the situation and that person isn't a person, it's a you know a, an egg cluster a, an embryo as I go, and the woman is just some kind of container you know yeah. some sort of bystander, which which is deeply disturbing I think to me you know you know and I'm someone who you know cries at the thought of animals being euthanized so I mean I'm, I'm not like you know, someone who's bloodthirsty by any means, and I think most women aren't. So I have to say, what could, what what I do with a kid in my life? And the idea, well, you can have the baby and then give it to people who are going to vote against your rights? No, thank you.
0: I'm not doing that. I don't think anybody celebrates an abortion. The idea that the right has that, you know, everybody, everybody goes out on a Monday and looks for an abortion. I had, and I still have a lot of uh, complaints about, bill clinton but i believe he was right when he said let's make abortion safe legal and rare yeah and that's the that's the you know, only way to keep it
1: yeah and you know i think a lot of people have this fairy tale version of pregnancy that there's this magical moment and then this little soul is enters you and you know they have this little story that actually about a third of fertilized eggs don't make it yeah so if God will yeah, they, they never get implanted eggs, they, they don't go anywhere you right. know and why they don't we really don't know. We also know that lots of fertilized eggs which some people think are people are you know uh, frozen like popsicles right. by yeah. fertility clinics and they're never going to come out they're not going to be snowflake babies as President Bush liked to say. They're just going to sit there and die a slow, cold death. It's crazy to say, well, if we shouldn't interfere with pregnancy, oh, really? Well, then we shouldn't interfere with barrenness. Heck, don't don't give anyone an aspirin. I mean, finally, bottom line, under American law, as I understand it, I'm not an attorney, rights in here in, in living persons, and a person isn't just something with human DNA, which a dead person would have. But instead, it involves consciousness and perception. I mean, yeah, there's a certain level of awareness
0: that person
1: implies. And prior to that, there's, you know, a sense of moral consideration and all those other things. But, you know, you're a citizen by virtue of having been born in the United States or to parents born in the United States. It's not, you want an anchor baby, let's say, okay, everybody who was conceived in the United States now is that, is that what we're going to say? The thing I want to ask some lawyers about, eventually, is what would be the legal argument for saying that the unborn have these absolute rights to life? And what would it be? And if you apply that consistently, I don't see any precedent in law or any way of making that a meaningful anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, how would you enforce it? How would you say... because? Usually people don't know they're pregnant right away. They may right. not know for a while. And, and even if they are, one day, the next day they may not be. So the, the sort of perfect pregnancy story that they push is not the best case scenario for some people, but it's certainly not, you, you might say, even the majority of cases.
0: Right. They, and, they, and I
1: think that, that just drives me nuts.
0: Yeah, their story just has no basis in fact, does it?
1: Not that I know of. You know, so just screaming, you know, it has a heart and all this sort of stuff. It's like, well, that's not how we, that's not what the AMA has decided. Uh, You know, death means it's brain death. I mean, you know. So we'd have to revise everything. We'd have to so change everything else that are jurisprudence and civic life and even the spiritual ideas. I grew up Catholic, and even the Catholic Church, you know, the little... Babies that didn't make it go to, you know, limbo or somewhere. And, and of course, the church has gotten rid of that because of abortion. Now they all go straight to heaven. But if so, then there's no original sin because I... (laughs) In other words, I know enough theology to to say, hey, you know, you want to take a real wrecking ball to everything you ever claim to believe in? So you have to say, this is what I can do, and this is what I can't do. Without the ability to make that decision, I don't see how anyone can be a joyful fulfilled parent and instead you'd have a lot of people who would be like many of our parents who were like oh god you know then you came along so then we couldn't move to chicago and then we could think of how much cramping your style that i heard about as a kid of people who suddenly got pregnant and my mother was not expecting to get pregnant again when i came along was i think she loved me but i also think that when she looked at me like with a lot of women, she think, yeah, but you ruined my life. Yeah. You know, it's a hard thing to say. It is. Another really hard thing to say, Scott, is there's no worse path to trot in this world than being an unwanted child.
0: Yeah. I can speak to that myself. I, I'm i the youngest <laughs> in my family by four years. And mm-hmm. when uh, my mom and dad, you know, found out that she was pregnant, you know, this was in 1965. So there, was, there were no legal options. But my dad knew people that he tried to talk my mom into having an illegal abortion. Mm-hmm. And my mom was the type of person, if it was illegal, she just would not have anything to do with it. Yeah, gotcha. So, you know, I come along, and, you know, six months later, they're separated and have a divorce. And I grew up hearing that I was the cause of my parents' separation. So... I can understand what you're saying about the the unintended consequences, you know.
1: Yeah. You know, several years ago, and there also, when the fight to legalize abortion was going on, the notion was every child should be a wanted child, and then that got out of favor because the notion was, well, that there are unwanted children. But the truth, my own lived reality is that yes there are unwanted children and even though i think you and i came out of it okay living decently and all that stuff but the amount of distress emotional distress and inability i, I mean I, I knew i couldn't be a parent i just knew i couldn't do it yeah. i mean you know because i, I just thought uh-uh. you know I, I don't you know I, I just couldn't live through that and put anyone else through it i mean I, I don't know what kind of terrible traumas lie in my past and as a result I'm going to drag some kids through this. Yeah, I feel that was the right decision, and that I'm the only person who could make it. Yeah, exactly. You know, no one else could make that decision for me. So when you start saying to people, you're not allowed to sleep with who you want to sleep with. I mean, I think it's very analogous to gay rights, and I think it's very analogous to that Lawrence v. Texas decision that the Supreme Court uh, handed down, that I think Justice Kennedy has something to do with it in, what, 2003 or so? Everyone was calling it the, the gay Brown v. Board decision. But, you know, the whole notion that you can have sodomy laws and you can go around policing, well, number one, it's going to be very selective enforcement. Two, it's not really clear what social good it produces. You know, once you get rid of the belief that gay people are all child molesters, you say, okay, you know, there's just no really good reason for this. So the other thing, I guess, when I think about social policy, I tend to think in terms of what will help to preserve the public peace? What will allow the greatest good for the greatest number I'm a utilitarian? What will make for a community where we can have diversity, where we can each, you know, float our own boat, you know, and all that sort of stuff, where we all can find our way forward? That means not getting too much down in the weeds of other people's business. I would prevent child abuse or animal abuse. I would get in people's way for that. I would get in people's way, you know, if they're robbing, stealing, raping, et cetera. But when it comes to consensual sexual activities, even ones that I don't, that I would find very appealing, and yet, you know, the thought of, well, is it in the public good that I rush in and say, no, no, put away that Western oil, you know, <laughs> no, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it also strikes me as, as very hypocritical, you know, going back to abortion rights. We know even in, in 2018, a woman earns 78 cents to the average male. And mm-hmm. you take a, a single mother who might have, you know, one, two, three children and trying to raise on minimum wage and offer no kind of, of societal support. It yeah. just strikes me as deeply hypocritical. When they say you know we really care because in all of their actions that shows no you actually don 't care
1: it creates i think also a sort of it's based on a kind of nostalgia for the 1950s I mean I think there is this make America great again. The idea that Andy of mayberry was a was a social documentary yeah. that 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 show i mean these old shows the The Beverly Hillbillies represent the way America really was. And then these Jane Fonda messed it up, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, well, it's just not true.
0: No, it never has been. You know,
1: been. it never has been. America's always had a disproportionate share of poor people. And while, so long as they're immigrants, tend to be immigrants and college students are called transitionally poor, you know, because they usually work their way out of it. But if you really want, you say, well, we just want children to be born, I think, well, okay, then what? And like you said, if we have no social support system, then we make it all the more difficult for people to be decent parents or to, or to just manage financially to stay afloat. Cultures like, you know, in France and England and Norway and all, all, the, all the progressive countries, it's really interesting. Abortion there really is free, if it's safe, and, and rare. Because if you decided, well, I really would like to have a child, I mean, I know many women who yearn, you know, for a baby, but can't afford it. Whereas if you said, well, you get paid maternity leave up to a year or two in England and free nursery schools. In other words, if you really seriously want to remove the number one reason why women have abortions, it's it's not because they hate children. or It's because they can't afford them. Right. And most of the people who have abortions already have a kid or two.
0: The number one providers for abortion is the OBGYN that somebody who's got health insurance goes to.
1: Mm, yeah. you know, Any yeah. rich woman can have yeah, as many abortions exactly. as she wants.
0: And every LBGYN, they learn how to do abortions, and most do private abortions. But it's the poor sure. people who don't have access to an OBGYN who are forced to go to a provider like Planned Parenthood. It it all comes down to trying trying to keep the poor woman ground under the hill of the yeah. of the white yeah. patriarch. And
1: finally it, it has to do with yeah, it has to do I think with this resurgent puritanism. We want, you know, people in Stiff collars and funny, funny hats, <laughs> you know, and knee breeches and all that stuff. We want to go back to what we think of as a good society. But everyone knows the Puritans, both in England and the United, in the colonial America, actually were a disaster because you can't, you know. One of the things you slowly learn if you're kind of a perfectionist and compulsive and filled with all sorts of ideas and ideals or whatever. You want to make everybody feel as you feel and do what you do and all this sort of stuff. It takes about a, a half a semester for you to realize, oh, crap, forget it. <laughs> it's, it's never going to happen, you know. It's just completely unrealistic. And then over time you say, okay, I'm going to hold the line here, I'll hold the line here. But for the most part, you get, you get more with honey than with vinegar. Yeah. You, you want me to have kids? Well, let's bring it to the table i'm a little late for this but hey you know (laughs) this may be a little bit after the fact for me i have some younger friends i'm talking into it maybe make it worth my while women who have high earning white male husbands can basically they're paid to do that you know they basically have decided that the best way for them to get through life is to uh hitch up with one of these guys and bring forth his children well they're getting something for it so if you say to someone else you should do this too, but you won't get anything for it, is a, is a way of thinking that, you know, you could say it's idealistic, but you know, if I'm not willing to make a certain sacrifice, but I insist that you do, that's where you have to say to yourself, is this about loving children, or is this about feeling that some people are just beneath us, and dirty, and nasty, and they're the ones that do nasty things, and that's why they get pregnant, and on and on and on. I mean, it's just a way of preserving a kind of race-class order of things
0: yeah, exactly. that
1: I think is not the best America can do. No. There's no reason to have to, you know, reassert this old order of things. And the notion of, well, if we don't do this, God's going to be mad at us. And it's like, well, God isn't mad at us about Vietnam. <laughs> if God didn't get upset about the Holocaust, if, God sort of snooze through yeah. know, the crusade. Um, being, then the being, lied into,
0: being lied into the Iraq war. Yeah,
1: Didn't get God's goat, you know. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. not very reverent. Um, then, you know, the idea that early term abortions will, oh, come on. I have really thought a lot about abortion. Now, I've thought about it for years. One of the reasons I majored in philosophy is to say, okay, I really want to get my logic right. I don't want to. I want to be sure this isn't just emotion, and and I've read and I've thought and I've read and I've thought, and I'm still reading and thinking, you know, whatever. And I always just come to the very same conclusions I did like at 20, (laughs) which is women are the best people to decide their fate. And if they make the wrong decision, well, so what? Who doesn't make bad decisions? Again, if you really want a better world for children, then make a better world for children. There are lots of ways to do that. Progressive policies do more to help kids. Poor kids, neglected kids, unwanted kids, kids whose parents are in jail. You know, you want to help kids? Okay, let's help kids. My own hypothesis, and I can't prove this, and it's a somewhat flamboyant view, but some level I think that the, the rise of Trump, this whole you know nostalgia movement, whatever, is rooted in fears of racial suicide. I mean, I think that when you look back and say, what is it that they see as so problem in the 60s, the 70s, you know? And they focus on sexuality, but they focus on sex in a way that's a very, the idea of, you know, they sound like my grandmother talking about how the Negroes, when she didn't call them Negroes, are out of control. Yeah. That's- and and what that meant, and, and you know, and I hear in BB every now and then, I'll you know, I have somebody do some work around the house or something. And they'll talk about how, you know, some black guy did this and this. And this. all the crime in BB is from the four black people who live here. It's just, you know, when you just, you just, you know, my stomach just tightens. Oh, for goodness sakes. It's just stunning to me how, how little all those changes. So I think these people have sort of, it's white-topia. They're often, they're yeah. little enclaves, you know, they're, they're, they really are culturally disadvantaged yes, diversity is hard. Putting up with people who, I have some neighbors who I guess are Mexicans. Some of their habits, the way they manage their pets and other things, are not my idea of the best possible practices. And yet, you know, you have to say, well, but mostly, 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 they're just, they send their kids to school. They're trying to just live. So you really have to say, balance, balance things. If it's not just totally black and white, red, white, and blue or something, then give people the benefit of the doubt. You'll, you'll be better able to influence them through kindness, respect, than by harassing them. And I know from other neighbors, the people who used to, who you owned the house where I live now, said uh, the women who lived here just hated those people because they were next So we try to wave at them and say hi. It's, it's no big, deep friendship, but it's just sort of like saying, okay, hi. Yeah, how rough is that? Especially since all of us came, you know, our ancestors came here. They weren't too wild about the Irish, as I hear it. You know? No? Italians and all that. So you just have to say to yourself, look, this is a good thing, ultimately. It, like a lot of good things, it, it may look bad along the way. I hope that abortion eventually becomes unnecessary completely because of long-term. If we could just ma- make more progress in birth control, we could just make just keep also enhancing our expectations for children, then uh, we wouldn't want to have children outside of a certain level of parental involvement. I, I always feel like there's some hidden agenda, and I oftentimes think it's race. It's racist
0: It seems to me like it. it's more a class struggle, because there are more poor white people than there are poor Mexicans or poor black people there's more crime committed by white people than by Mexicans or black people it seems to me like they whoever the quote they are have always mm-hmm. worked to sow the divide to keep oh, yeah. to keep essentially to keep the poor people from ganging up and and you know asserting their rights to have a life just as as well as yeah. those who control everything you know if you keep the poor whites Keep telling them, you know, the reason you're poor is because this black family down the street uh, mm-hmm. got They're the got, all stuff yeah. you know, he got the job that should have gone to you. Mm-hmm. I I don't understand the thinking that lets somebody get that into the, into their head that that rich guy over there has got your best interest at heart. Because mm-hmm. I've never met a rich person yet that had my best interest <laughs> at heart <laughs> or anybody yeah, else in my situation.
1: I do want to mention a few things about NOW.
0: Yes, please. Go ahead.
1: So, so the people who are listening to this, uh, NOW, National Organization for Women, just a little, little commercial here, was founded in 1966, it's the oldest and largest women's rights organization. National Organization for Women means, okay, it's, it's the USA that we focus on, but of course we also advocate for CEDAW, the ERA for, for the international realm and increasingly are interested in immigrant populations moving into the U.S. or uh, with whom we have various kinds of cultural bonds and trade. We have uh, six issues that we have worked on since 1966, and I think we must have picked good issues because none of these is completely resolved yet. The Big Kahuna, the Long-Term Goal, is the Equal Rights Amendment. The, the recent victory in Illinois means that we now are one state away from ratification. Now, I'm sure that when the next state, which, which may be Virginia, I think this is what everyone's kind of betting on, Virginia, which had that election where a whole bunch of people, to include some now people, got right. elected to the Virginia legislature, may be the next one to, to roll. But at any rate, I'm sure people say, oh, well, you know, you, you've passed your time limit, but the ERA is the only constitutional amendment that ever had a time limit. You know, the reasons to be against it were what? You know, gay people could marry, uh, there'd be abortions, and women would be in the armed forces. And I remember arguing with a state legislature here in Arkansas a few years ago saying, well, you know, all those things have already happened without the ERA. So why oppose the ERA? Because you want to what? So the ERA is the big thing, and we, underneath all the gloom of thinking about Justice Kennedy's retirement, keep in mind that even with a conservative Supreme Court, rights will not be abridged according to sex, the basic ERA. So we'll need it. We have the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, yeah. And that's why, but we still need a civil rights bill. So the ERA is, you might say, the ultimate aim of now in terms of constitutional equality. And then the other issues are probably more the ones uh, the at the retail level here where we deal with still today. So one of the most longstanding, I think 1977 now has said, we're for uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights. That was a very early, although there was a big fight now over this, some uh, people who didn't think lesbians should count
0: as women. <laughs> yeah, well, I, re- I remember it, yeah. There was a there was a big march in Washington for the ERA in '77, I believe it was. Oh yeah, and my, and this
1: is when Kathy Webb and was really active and all that sort of stuff. And now, so we have for a long-standing principle here that a bit began with lesbians, of course, but eventually was extended. We're very vocal in the equal marriage movement and worked very very hard. So for all your listeners who are. Gay friendly or allies. That's an important selling point for us. The other things, the things we're against and trying to get rid of, racism and domestic violence are two of the things we think are endemic in American society and that have a great deal to keep women down. Uh, women of color are disproportionately victimized in just about every way. We think that our sisters of color. Need to be uh, lifted up. We work, we're working hard to diversify our community, you know, so that now is more representative. We're also against domestic violence and very much worried about guns in the hands of domestic uh, abusers and wishing that those who favor gun rights would not be so willing to extend them to people who have already committed heinous crimes against their own family Yep. And who are disproportionately represented among these uh, shooters, like this guy who shot up the newspaper, you know, the other day. Many yep. of these people have a history of domestic violence, yep. so it's uh, that are part of the gun issue. You know, we have a lot of concern about that. Have regular events and talk-ins at at Arkansas. Now we had a uh, Speak Out for Safe Sisters uh, this April. That was designed to say. How it brought in a colleague of mine from criminal justice who said, uh, talked about how to, you know, basically how to stay safe. And then the other two are the ones maybe we've been talking about, reproductive rights. We are pro-choice, 120%. And the other issue that's very much tied in all of these is wage equality. You know, why yeah. are women still paid less? Quit blaming us because we're paid less. That we don't ask for raises. Yeah, we do. I just read an article about that. Well, women just don't ask. Yeah, they do. They just get turned down all the time. The sense that men's work is always valued more than women's work, the success of a few famous women, Oprah Winfrey and you know, whoever else you want to name, notwithstanding the typical woman in Arkansas, there's a quite a big wage gap, not as big a wage gap as there are in the states where men make more money. But here, uh, the average household income in Arkansas is $44,000 and change which is about thirteen thousand below the national average. Women only thirty nine thousand you know, we are still like twenty cents below on the dollar or and there is a, a fair wage commission, an equal wage commission in Arkansas that now is a part of. For your listeners who think, Well what you know, other than abortion, what are you all working on? We work on all those issues. This year, because of the court, I think abortion will be big. But we're also very concerned about getting more women of color to rent for office. We all work on all these issues. Been two legislative sessions, but, you know, we're trying to lobby for the ERA in Arkansas. It's never even gotten out of committee. We keep pushing for it. Yeah. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, when I get to talk to uh, my good friend uh, Tucker, I'm going to sort of say, here are these issues now. And I think he's he's done a little bit for domestic violence or tried to, but I'm I'm interested to see where where he is and where all these people that are running for office are.
0: Have you had a chance to talk to Chinton Desai?
1: No. Yeah, I have watched a couple of his videos. In fact even today I think I saw one. He's running in Rick Crawford's district, right? Rick Crawford, right?
0: Yeah, the first the first district in oh, Arkansas.
1: Yeah. So I mean he's there, you know, up with Jonesboro. He he looks great, just in terms of his affability and his ability, you know, my parents were immigrants from India, and yes, I have this name, but I can talk Arkansas, and he can talk Arkansas. Yeah, i like to, you know, talk with him and meet with him and, you know, just say, whatever happens in the the elections this fall, my hope is that these very promising young candidates, these people who maybe have a tough time going up, what I hope is that these same people can be, you know, involved with all of us to continue to have town meetings and maybe to be on your radio show and, in other words, to people need to get to know them. Once they've heard your name about five million times, then you know, then it's a little bit easier to start. We'll continue, you know, and become the new Democratic Party in Arkansas. Because if not, we're just not going to have a Democratic Party for what I can see. I, yeah, it, I, it's, yeah. A,
0: it's an uphill struggle, and you know, he's a excellent candidate and I find a lot of hope in Arkansas politics in general when I see all the wonderful women who are who are running. And you know oh, top yeah. top of mind is Maureen Skinner. Yeah, you know, and she she could not be a better candidate and she is going up against the dream right wing individual in Arkansas, <laughs> Jason Raper. What straight talk is is essentially about is just getting the liberal, the progressive voice out in Arkansas because you don't hear it from when you turn on the news. You don't hear Maureen Skinner say anything trying to highlight the the progressive voice in Arkansas. And I I saw that need and I thought, well, okay, this is something I you know I can do with my little limited ability here. So I I, I just started it and. I don't care if, if somebody's running for city council, if they've got a progressive issue that they're passionate about and they want to talk about, I want to talk to them because I want I want everybody in Arkansas to know because these are our future. I got uh, Graham, uh, but he was the the communications director for the Democratic Party. I finally got him on the phone, and mm-hmm. he actually hooked me up with a, a guy from uh, from Fort Smith. He's a doctor, uh, Dean Flanagan. He kind of had the same idea I did. He was just kind of getting some interviews, but he re- didn't really know what to do with them. So he put me in contact with him. And so now uh, Dean does interviews, and I post them on the Straight Talk also. Uh, wow. So, you know, it, it's it's getting a little bit better. And I, I'm yep. hoping this is something I plan on doing, you know, from now on. And just to just to highlight progressive voices, I did this because this is something that I can do, and anybody wants to put this on the radio, you know, there's more power to them. Let's kind of break out here a little bit, and let me just get okay. just a, a little bit of, of biographical information about, about you. Uh, you know, where are you from? How did you get involved in all this? My father was from Arkansas. My
1: mother was from New York City. He was a merchant marine, so they met in New York. My brothers were born in New York, and they stayed in New York until right after I was born. And then my father moved the family to Marlton, Arkansas, where, and then went back to New York and left my mother there with me and my two teenage brothers. I grew up there, and then we moved to Conway, and then I went to Catholic school, St. Joseph's Catholic School, till fifth grade, and then my father moved us to Circe. I went to Searcy Public Schools and graduated from Searcy High. During that time, that was when the Vietnam War was going on, I began to get kind of political. You know, I began to get really interested. I didn't really have a very clear career objective, to put it mildly. I, I just thought, you know, I want to be, be a person of my time. I want to fully engage, I guess, with the issues of the day. I want to know what's happening. So I remember going to see the movie MASH and realizing I didn't understand any of it. Didn't understand what what the joke was about major major. I mean, didn't Catch 22. Didn't understand it. Yet. After college, where I did pretty well in college, and then you know, I was, Arab oil embargo and all that was going on. The Economy was bad. There was an army recruiter in downtown Little Rock that had this big poster that said "See Europe," and I thought, okay, that that's the plan. <laughs> deep deep thinking here. So I joined the army. I joined the army. And I thought, you know, and everyone, all my friends said, oh, my God, Kay, this is, you're not going to, you are not going to be happy. That's going to be the worst thing you ever did. It turned out to actually be one of the better things I've ever done. I did eventually go to Europe, and then I became an officer. I was one of the first women to go through co-ed OCS at Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the infantry. So then I was assigned to the intelligence school. I was reassigned to military intelligence uh, Fort Devens, Massachusetts, where I was on the faculty of the intelligence school for a while, and then ended up as a company commander. Oh, boy, can't believe it. Well, then I and then to everyone to everyone's great surprise, I got out of the army. Then I decided, okay, the event. This has been a great adventure, but I'm done because I wanted to go to graduate school. So I went to I, I eventually went to Shaw State University in in Wichita, Kansas, for an MFA, a writing degree. I got interested in philosophy to say, okay, how can I go take a big step down from English, find an even (laughs) harder uh, uh, place to get a job (laughs) with a more esoteric subject matter that will make me virtually incomprehensible? And I thought, well, hey, you know, this is a chance for me. I went to the University of Kansas, and I got an M.A., and Ph.D. in philosophy, where I encountered far more sexist prejudice than I ever had in the military. The academic world I would not recommend, at least not the part of it I know. That was uh, probably the worst time of my life. So I returned to Arkansas uh, after a very nasty divorce as indigent veteran and went to the VA, and they helped put me back together again a little bit. And I got a job at Philander Smith College, <laughs> where I taught for 10 years, and little I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, finished my Ph.D. Huh, due to change in administration and some frustration at the school, I, I started, basically I needed a better salary. They didn't pay very well. I was enticed to come to ASUBB, so I've been here 11 years. I am very anxious to return to Little Rock. Living outside of Little Rock is very tough, even because I go to VA for health care, so I'm always running back and forth. Yesterday, I drove to Little Rock twice, so I'm here and for since about 2005, I've been on and off president of Arkansas now. I have been and am looking for my replacement and may have even found one. I have a, a young mentee and cohort named Rena Marquez, who's uh, wonderful. She's a wonderful, great activist. So she may end up being, being that person. And then a few years ago, I started writing textbooks, and I published two, and I'm working on a third one. And now I'm trying to burst into some version of freelance writing so that once I retire, which I hope will be in a couple of years maybe, I'll get out, you know, sell this house and go back to Little Rock and live in a condo and just keep doing what I'm doing for as long as I can. So that's me.
0: Well, it sounds a very interesting life that you've led so far, and it doesn't sound like it's going to get too uninteresting as you go further.
1: Well, it it has been. It, it's been you know a kind of. Um, when I was at UALR, uh, we had this thing called the Associated Women Students (AWS), and that's when I really became, I think, a self-aware feminist. And then, as soon as I heard about NOW, I wanted to join it, but I didn't know how to join NOW. So I think I've been an active member pretty much since about 1984, the year Gloria Steinem came to Wichita and talked. That was the year I became a NOW member. So this is my thing that I've cared about the most, and it's my mother, her situation, that of many other women have, have always been important to me in terms of saying, why, what is, why is this such a big deal? And it's like, because people suffer. Yeah. You know, people suffer terribly when they, when they aren't in charge of their lives, when they can't make their own decisions, when they're shamed about their body when there's a psychic cost for oppression. So, you know, no society's perfectly just you know, not everybody wants to be rich and famous. People have different but to just let people live. To you know, and to live they have to have health care and to live they have to have a dentist and to live I mean, you know, you have to have a telephone. There are things you need and if you lack them, no wonder you a lot of people end up hating society and acting out in terrible ways. I don't know that that's the only reason they do it, but certainly feeling poor and deprived, as I have many times, you know, I, I can feel that burn, you know, that sense yeah. of being cut, that cut off from that, that other people get so easily. And so I really identify with all those individuals and groups who are who, who, who also seem to be getting a raw deal. And yeah. a society with so much to offer, such a kind of interesting past itself, I, don't, I haven't achieved everything I had hoped for. I've mostly had a good time with a few really rotten exceptions. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> well, I, I think that's called life. <laughs> I became a feminist many, many years ago when it came to me, and I, I can't remember exactly where, you know, what circumstances brought this thought into my head. But in every society, in, in every country around the world, when you empower women, everything gets better.
1: You know, if you really want to help kids, then help women. So when it comes to investing in, in the social fabric, I think women are a, a much better investment. Every time I go to a NOW conference, in that conference hall, and I look at the people who lead our organization, I think to myself, in a just society, these wouldn't, this wouldn't be the president or vice president of the NOW.
0: This would be the president of the United States. Let me ask you about societal representation of women. Mad Men was a, a fictional TV show. People who you know have seen it and lived through the time said that it was pretty accurate in its portrayal yeah. of, of working women, especially. I was I was a kid when All in the Family was on. You know, I was raised by a single mother. She enjoyed All in the Family. But when when Maude became a spinoff, she got a political awakening when when Maude got on the air, mm-hmm. and I think I did too. A lot of good can be traced back to All in the Family, and it's what it spun off. You know, we had Maude, and we had good times that all came. Well, from you that. know,
1: and also we, we kind of laughed at ourselves a little yeah, bit. It's it, you know, a stereotype, but they're also like real people. So I see. Actually, the media, where I don't see it as much as I would like to, is in is in journalism. Uh, except on MSNBC, Rachel Maddow is my hero. In everyday life, these people are very conventional and don't rock the boat. You know, actually, the the people who do the best, I think, sometimes are more conservative women. Yeah. Who both get the benefit of the doubt because they're women, at the same time, don't want to change very much because they want to show that they're not going to rock the boat too much. I do miss the, the shows where people did rock the boat, did make a farce, but they kind of opened a door to saying gender roles are silly.
0: As young people now, they don't watch TV. They, they get their yeah. entertainment from YouTube and Netflix. Games, and, Yeah, games. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a totally different uh, media landscape than what we grew up in. Yeah. Uh, let me... Uh, Rewind a little bit and go back to something that uh, you you kind of touched on when you, you you talked about gender roles what is what is now 's position on trans rights?
1: Oh all for it i don 't know that this is now so much i'm sure that there are people in now that probably have this, but I think there has been among feminists a eh, feeling that trans women it 's an identity issue of is a trans woman going to have the understanding, the self-understanding of what it means to be a woman politically that someone who's, who's always been a woman has. Really, the trans people are the front lines now. Gay people, lesbians, are bisexuals are more generally accepted, even if grudgingly, as part of the regular everyday society. How is it that we are willing to let people adopt different gender identity, but we're, we're horrified, you know, that someone would pretend to be black who hadn't been through the struggle and all that. So, you know, I think there is a, a place in identity politics where most of us just sort of accept our equipment and don't think much about it, I think. Right. A few of us can't can't quite see ourselves in a traditional male-female relationship. And then, but clearly, there's a significant number of people more who feel they are born in the wrong body. I guess in my mind, so what? This is no historical analogy, I guess, as tribal identities broke down. It may just be that that's, you know, the way humans develop, because the more I can imagine myself as someone very different or just by experiencing someone different than I am, the more tolerant I'll be. And also the more I can get in touch with parts of myself that maybe don't go exactly where they go. So, I mean, I think we all have, what is it, Whitman once wrote, you know, I'm not just one person, I contain multitudes. So maybe these people who seem odd are just the rest of us in, in the funhouse mirror of the world, I don't know. One time at a NOW conference, in fact, I went into a, a women's bathroom. There were these people who initially I, I thought were men. And so I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And I ran out of the bathroom. And then you had that second vision. And I thought, no, he was wearing a skirt. And I thought, well, no, he, she, and I thought, oh, crap, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a rude, and yeah, you know. So, you, you know, I, I also think we all, I have to hope that they'll, you know, forgive me, that we can all just realize that it, it. we have to adjust, you know, we have to adjust to these changes. As a culture, I, I mean, I just hate to see us lose our courage. I think uh, Obama gave us a lot of courage to, you know, go ahead and, and move forward.
0: I have hope that everybody can can grow as a human. Uh, sometimes people dash my hopes, but I, I'm hopeful nonetheless. But I think I think you hit on it earlier when you said it's something about maturity, because I think you know it, as a society matures and you know becomes more what's in the vernacular now woke. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, woke.
0: Yeah. You realize that. Where you thought the world was a binary world, where you know there's right and wrong and black and white, that no, it, it's actually an analog world. There's yeah. there's gay and straight and a whole spectrum in between. There's male and female and a whole spectrum in between, and mm-hmm. you know there's progressive and conservative and a whole spectrum in between. You know the world is is not as black and white as everyone wants to believe it is.
1: The United States has never been a simple, one single race, single no. religion. It's never been, never, ever, and the attempt to remake ourselves, you know, into Europeans.
0: Maybe it's my machinist background, but I I look at America like a you know like the melting pot. It is, and that yeah. that is what America is. We're an, That's we're an melting. But and, when um, when you have a cosmopolitan city like New York, you know you've got all these different cultures brushing up against each other, and it's kind of like taking a file to something—you're you're sanding off the rough edges.
1: Yeah, and you're also forcing people to find a way. You know, on the coasts is New America, and here in the center, there's this resistance. There's yeah. this old America. And I think that, that beyond just any one issue, many have seen as divisive, I mean, I think um, people here seem to want to hang on to a high-tech version of the 1950s or something. Yeah. Even though it's gone. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 not there anymore. It's an illusion. Then on the coast, you see, I think, people who are so displaced from that all-us-and-just-like-us setting, you know, it just seems inconceivable that people... So, I mean, I think some of it is, depending on where we live and how many people we brush up against. So, you know, if you're in Arkansas, the most exotic people you might ever meet are from Mexico. Texas is next door, you go a little bit south, that's Mexico. Okay, so that's that outer world.
0: There's been one institution in the United States that I think has has been at the vanguard of social change and that is you know, as, as bizarre as it might seem the United States army i never had any social interactions with a black person until i joined the army i didn't have the the best of time when i was in the army but i i look back at those days and the the sense of, of unity you know like hey you know we're all brothers and sisters in it together
1: yeah I actually have very positive memories of the Army. And I actually, I, I've gotten in a fight with someone here by referring to this person as a white person. And she finally told me that that was divisive. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought to myself, you know, this is right out of Mad Magazine. <laughs> one of those spy versus spy things I used to like to read when I was a kid, you know. Honestly, It's divisive to call a white person a white person, if you're a white person. It it creeps people out because it makes them experience themselves a racial object. as an object of a gaze. It really annoys people, but it has been pretty damn entertaining.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: amazing how you can scare people. It's just like a little flash of lightning. It doesn't wear by. And one of the things I think that people here want is to stay in a kind of bubble. Be protected from self-awareness
0: so uh, let me see we have been talking for almost two hours and 15 minutes here I do want to okay. ask you if, if people are, are interested in joining the National Organization for women what do they need to, to do to go about that
1: well the the national now has a website now.org it's like all the other websites it has little tabs and there's one that says join now so click there Hey, Chapman or someone else will send you a little newsletter every now and then, a call you on the phone. We just really need what what you're doing. We need to talk with people. We need to meet people. We need to know people. We need to have contacts uh, so we can work in coalition with others. Um, we are never going to be big enough, I think, to work all on our own for anything. But right. we can lead a lot of stuff, and we can be part of things that other people do, like League of Women Voters and all those kind of folks. So that we um, so that we have a, a a a presence in the in that coalition, a group of people, and also so that we can, you know, just keep issuing reminders. Hey, what about women? What about women? Yeah, what exactly. about women?
0: Kay Chapman, it has been really a pleasure to speak with you, and for I want to thank you for coming on this show.
1: Well, it has been a great pleasure to be on the show. We've had a great conversation. I've enjoyed it.
0: All right. Well, that was my conversation with Kay Chapman. We still have a, a lot of work to do in the realms of, of women's rights and reproductive access and reproductive freedom in Arkansas. And th- it's real important that you support organizations like the National Organization for Women and that, that you support candidates like Maureen Skinner and, and Hayden Shammel. At the state and federal level, and even at the local level, you can support candidates like Tara Ward. And it's important to always remember that when you make life for women better, you make life for everyone better. So be sure and support these wonderful women and the organizations that they belong to. And don't forget, we've got a very important election coming up. Make sure you go out and vote and bring a friend. Every time I hear the people cry Don't you know that the man is gonna lie I try to tell them that they have a choice People out there don't use that voice Or You can be who you want to be Not in an oppressed
1: society All, you, all people don't use that the am